Hey everybody, this is Shelly. Thanks for listening. I'm so excited today. Um, it's August 22nd. Last night we just did our first uh, Blue Llama sing-along karaoke. I'm sitting here talking to Christy about how fun it was. So if you're listening to this and you were there at that, then first of all, thank you eight people who fit in that category. <laughs> but also, um, I've been just so excited about about Christy's book and talking to her about it. It's a beautiful day in late August 2022, and I, uh, just a reminder, this is the show where we read books and smoke weed, but Christy is not smoking weed. And I'm not either. I had a medible, but I'm coughing for no freaking reason. I'm drinking tea, and yeah, so we have a lot of snacks on the table, a lot of coconut-themed snacks, some mangoes, stuff like that. And um, we're going to talk about show business. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be great. Which is weird because there's never any weed in show business. <laughs> I never, nobody's ever smoking weed. So I, I, hope it, I hope you can stretch your mind to imagine the worlds of weed and, and show business somehow interacting. I don't know. Stretch your mind. See if you can picture a jazz musician or a comedian. Um, if you try really hard, you can conceive of these two worlds crossing. <laughs> so, um, Christy Davis, welcome. Thank you, Shelley. I'm so happy you're here. So um, am I. Yeah. So I have to tell you, I think we met in person on Beaver Island, right? Did we meet? Well, I was trying to remember because did yeah. we meet through our mutual friend Ken at hit one of his Maybe. Thanksgiving <gasps> Maybe. Um, gatherings. So I used to be in this um, networking group called BNI Business Networking International with a man who is a book coach. And years ago, probably like 2014, right? 15? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Ken was talking about this book, um, Long Legs and Tall Tales. And this woman that he was working with, he used to be a rocket. And we were so excited about the book. So... He has that week before Thanksgiving dinner dinner, right? For friends, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I think that might have been it. Oh, man. Were we singing in the... Was there a piano? We were in the room with the piano, yes. Oh, my gosh. Of Just course. Just meet people and... Yeah. I think we might have connected there first. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Isn't it harder than you think to figure out the first time you met someone? Well, our worlds have intersected yours and yeah. mine in so many or just other places it's hard to think that that would be the first place but I know well were you dating Dave when he did the holiday show years ago oh I don't know if I was at that time yeah I don't think I was I we went to one of the holiday shows together but he wasn't in it oh okay because I was in a holiday show with Dave Years ago. See, so more connections. I was his backup singer, and he called us the Boutonnieres. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> this is what we were called. <laughs> because his last name is Boutet. Right. So that's why that's Boutet. cool. Boutet. And so it's funny, because he's nerdy like that. That's a great, <laughs> perfect, like, jolly Dave-type joke. These are my Boutonnieres. Like, he just said it on stage, and we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. That's I love great. it. <laughs> that's great. We were like, do-do-do-do. We were just back up singing <laughs> with Dave um, but then we got in contact again 2018 because how long had you been going to Beaver Island Music Festival well this year I believe was my ninth year at the festival oh my gosh 
And were you working the whole time or were you ever just hanging out? The first couple years, I was just enjoying the festival. And then mm-hmm. I started singing with my husband. And then, yeah, probably seven or so I've been performing at maybe. Yeah. So if you don't know about Beaver Island, it's a tiny island off the northwest coast of Michigan out in the middle of the lake. And it's hard to get to. And the rules are a little loosey-goosey. <laughs> and there's a music festival there second or third week of July, I think third week of July, and it is just, it's just such a special occasion. It's so weird. You're out in the middle of nowhere. It's magical. It's magical, even if it's pouring down rain. I've had so much fun there, sit, just in the pouring rain, just sitting there. You're that kind of person, though, Shelley, yeah. that you can make the pouring rain fun. It's true. I like that about you. Well, it's time to slow down and make friends at that point. You're going to be in their <laughs> tent for a while, yeah. especially if you don't know how to navigate, like, because you're out on this island, very few people bring cars, but as an artist, they just tell you, oh, somebody will pick you up. And it might just be, there's literally just somebody it's saying. It's the damn shuttle. Yeah. Like Beaver Dam. <laughs> yes. D-A-M. It's the damn shuttle. Yeah. Or it's just somebody with a truck. Right. When you get off the shuttle. When you get off the ferry, there's just somebody just with a truck. Just a random truck. pickup truck or something. Yes. And you're like, I feel like this is okay here. And then you realize it's how things work. You get in and you put your stuff in the back and it's fine. <laughs> yes. And it's fine. So we've gotten hung out there. Um but I heard about you when, when, you, when you were working on this. So I would love to know, because I can tell, obviously, that you started the book. From when you started it to when you finished it, how much time passed? And, like, working on it, diving in and out of it. Tell me about that process. Well, this should give any artist who's really struggled with completing a project a little bit of, you know, go, 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 get it, do it, get it done. Because it took yeah. me 14 years. Oh, shoot. Yeah. When I wasn't writing it the whole time, I took off some years and got divorced and <laughs> went to grad school. Yeah. And did a bunch of stuff like that that really interrupted the writing of the book. Yeah. But the thing I'm proud about is that I just made it happen. I kept it just, it was one of those projects. I don't know if you've had this, Shelly, that. It just calls to you to do it. And mm-hmm. you just, you know, it's like something tapping you on the shoulder and then pulling your hair and like kicking you in the butt. And just, it just wants to be birthed. It wants yes. to be born. And you get annoyed it's with it. to exist. And yes. it's not going to leave you alone. Like some projects yes. come in and after a couple of weeks, you're like, I am definitely not making a spice rack <laughs> out of corks. <laughs> yes. What was I thinking? I cut out all those pictures. I was fired up. And now it seems ridiculous. But some just keep you up at night yeah yeah so 14 years from start to finish wow okay and so um I loved it first of all if you're a performer if you're a dancer if you're a musical theater person if you're a touring musician really of any kind um or you've been in a long-running show you gotta get this book it's so visceral of memories I think it's so um it paints a picture of a life of a dancer and how hard it is but also the fun backstage things that if you're not in that life you probably have never even thought of right never even thought of but if you have done that life you know 
exactly what that is. You yeah. know exactly how wonderful that is. I kind of equate it, and I do in the book as well, but in my mind, I equate that backstage magic to getting that golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Yeah. You know, you don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have no idea what magical things happen inside yeah. that place unless you are one of the performers or just have this opportunity to go backstage, which is very unusual. Yeah. And you still won't get in on all the inside stuff if you're just visiting, you right. know, the backstage with your friend or whatever. So it's just such a special, crazy place, unlike anywhere else I mean right. maybe a men's maybe a locker room of a of a sports team or something but I yeah. don't even think that would be as fun well if you think about like basically it's you're hanging out with your friends at work right? yeah yeah <laughs> but, you are yeah. but it's so, you know everybody knows like oh well when I wait tables the biggest part of your job is having all these friends at work that you're constantly joking with and hanging out with after work and all this yeah, stuff and eating yeah. with da, 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 da. it's just that this work is being a rocket <laughs> or being the playboy girls of rock and roll right. and so it's such a public it's such a public job you know obviously um that it's fun to know all these secrets because you can make assumptions about it so i love the structure of the book and you explain the layout up front in a really cute way but can you share with the listeners kind of like how it's set up with the flashback and the scenes Yes. Yeah, so really the the impetus for me writing the book was that my career was ending and dancers in general like professional athletes have shorter careers than people with normal careers right. and for a dancer you know you get to be about 35 and there aren't a lot of opportunities for you you know it's, yeah. it's very rare to find shows and your body's changing and so um that's when well yeah I was actually I think 37 at the time I uh, realized that my career was going to be ending and I was so distressed about it that I realized um I better write about this thing, you know? I got to write about yeah. what I went, what my experiences were. It was a really kind of therapeutic to get through the grieving process of losing my career. Um, and it was a, a big deal because the reason that the career was ending so abruptly and I knew it was ending so abruptly is because I was a rockette at the time. Uh -huh. And the rockettes were going through a big, um, a big battle in 2002? Uh, yeah, I think it was 2002. So okay. we were unionized mm -hmm. and uh, Cablevision, who owned Madison Square Garden, who owned the Rockettes, I guess, something like that. Um, they wanted to disband our, our roster of women, our unionized roster of women. And it was a big, huge fight. And there was going to be strikes and... Um, Anyway, I could see the writing on the wall. Yeah. And so that's how I started my book is with this knowing of the impending doom. Yeah. <laughs> of the end of my career. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but it's, yeah, that'll wake you right up, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was really smacking me in the face, this re reality that I was going to have to stop dancing. And so that's where I started the book with this this drama that I was yeah. facing. I started the book with that, with basically the last few days of my career and, and then this flashback thinking about 
everything I had been through that had gotten me to this pinnacle of mm-hmm. dancing with one of the most, well, the most famous precision dance group in the world. So pretty, mm-hmm. pretty top of the line uh, dreams accomplished, yeah. oh, you know. Yeah. And so it, so it, so the book is set up. So it flash, flashes back to um, mostly the last day. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mostly the last day of of my career. And I'm back in New York City at Radio City Music Hall at that point, mm-hmm. teaching a Rockette uh, workshop for aspiring Rockettes. And, and, and that then, had to feel bad because you're like, sorry, you're never going to get to do <laughs> Most of them, right? <laughs> I wonder how many did. I, I wonder know, if anyone from that I know, that but class did they not disband <laughs> the Rockettes then? They just disbanded the roster. So they disbanded this roster. So like a sports team would have a roster of their A-list performers, right? Yes, their top yes, performers. Yes. The Rockettes for many years had this roster of, I believe, believe it was 38 women, because I think it takes 36, a line of 36 on the stage at Radio City, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. a couple of swings, which are the replacement. Oh my God! People we got to talk about the swings. Or swings, or but c- c- we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Yeah, and so they were on a roster. So once you got on the roster, which was a very challenging um, um, role to have, is to is to get on this roster. And usually it was by seniority. But my year, um, they decided to audition people for oh, the right. roster, which really caused a lot of oh, I'm sure mad, you know, anger from the people who were next in line because of seniority. They yeah. auditioned us and that's how I got on um yeah but then they didn't want then you know the big wigs didn't want to have to let women as they got older 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 stay on this roster they wanted to be able to choose each year yeah who got to uh dance yeah yeah that's a shocker because it's not like you broke your leg no or you had a bad review at work it just stopped it just (laughs) stopped my sequins were taken away oh my gosh and the thing about um at some point you say it's not like i'm losing my job it's like i'm using my identity right and and mm -hmm. i don't know if if you're i think if you're a comedian or you love musical theater are you like if you're not in a show it's a restless what is my identity feeling so you can relate to that completely like because there was an era of my life where I was going from producing this musical theater show to recording this thing to running this comedy show to stage managing this thing and then there was an era where there was a couple of months that just I felt like I should say no to most things yeah but when I would be out and people would be like so what are you working on (laughs) And I didn't have anything. It was like shame and confusion and like, I, I'm not working on anything. <laughs> you know, I'm just Who a person. <laughs> just, a, just, just a person. Just sitting around <laughs> not being an artist. Yeah, no, I totally got it. But your identity is you're like, what? this is what I do. This is, yeah. And I think that's maybe other artists can relate to this. I feel like I was called to do this career kind of thing, which encompassed a lot of different variations like yours, right? It's kind of like a blessing and a curse, but it's like it chose me. And, yeah. and, and there's this just this super strong drive in my DNA or something. It's like I just mm-hmm. had to do it, you know? And yeah. I really, really tried not to do it for a lot of years. Yeah. But like the book, you know, just this, this being an artist thing just kept gnawing at me and poking at me and 
tugging at me and and I just feel called to yeah. do it like I was just born I had to do it yeah and yeah. it's very going against the grain going against the flow if you try to not do it oh it's very it's very hard we were so doing this karaoke last night and then uh a friend of ours had just gotten an apartment right around from the Blue Llama. This cool loft apartment was like, everybody come to my house. And it was exactly the people you want at a theater geek after party. You know, everybody wants to sing. We're pulling out all the instruments. You know, people are trading hats. You know, it's just a love <laughs> fest. And I'm just looking around at everybody's dress, at the way everybody's dressed and the art on the walls and everything. And I'm like, oh, yeah, these are these are my people yeah this is the most comfortable situation for me is to be with the people who cannot wait to do their thing <laughs> you know, they're like, I reworked my set and I need to run it three times and it's an hour long will you listen to all of them and you're like yes I, will. I would love to I cannot <laughs> wait should we pick out outfits Yes. Do you want me to put lipstick on you? What do we need to do? I'm on board, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and last night, we were just all, play this, sing this, come over here. Just, you know, it was, we were geeking out. It was wonderful. Okay, so it starts then, we flash back. I want to talk about Dolly Dinkles. Oh, but then tell me about the acts and the stages, because it's broke up in like act one, act two, oh, act three. Yeah, so it's flashbacks. I tried to be clever and put it in kind it of was theater clever. terminology. It was very clever. So, right. Super clever. I got to look at my book to see what I did. Okay, okay. Act, I did act one, act two, act three. Right, right, right. Um, so act one, uh, well, there was a prologue first. Right, right, right. Setting the stage. And that yeah. was my time at my little, my little neighborhood dance school. Which yes. Which I'm sure many. Oh, wait. The Dolly Dinkle was the prologue? Yes. Oh, my God. We got to talk about that just for a minute. I'm just okay. going to diverge because my school in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which might even <laughs> still be there, I don't know. It was called Miss Marion's School of Dance. Yes, of course. Miss Marion's. And... We had to drive pretty far to get there from Boiling Springs to Spartanburg. But when you described walking into your dance school and the smell and the counter and the rooms, the big room and the little room and the bars, I was just like immediately back <laughs> at Miss Marion's <laughs> School of Dance. And also feeling that um, immediate hierarchy. We're like, those oh. girls are 10 years old and they're oh, such yeah. good dancers. You really look up to them. or are Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you can't believe how, you know, that you can aspire to that. You can aspire to the, what was the, um, you were a student and then you got a special advance. You were put into the Christmas show. Is that what it oh, was? Oh, we had a, my um, studio ended up forming a ballet company, oh, a right, very right, right. serious ballet company. Okay, okay. And we had to audition for it, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we did the Nutcracker mm -hmm. and other ballets, too. But, of course, at Christmas time, we did the Nutcracker. And eventually, I got to be the Sugar Plum Fairy, yes, which is girl. the best fairy, I would say, <laughs> yeah. that I know. yeah. Who's going to argue with sugar plums? They are <laughs> good. Um, so is that place still there? 
It's not in the same location, but um, okay. yeah, they have a very thriving, a thriving school. Oh yeah. my gosh. I love it. Do you, have you ever gone back there to teach workshops and things? No. Well, that's the, that's the studio that I left for another studio. Oh, okay. Okay. So major um, controversy, major controversy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have seen, um, at least one of my teachers since then and, you know, said nice things to them, but. <laughs> Um, I ended up at a different studio. Oh, gotcha. I think we were, I think the one I was aspiring to but never actually auditioned for was Carolina Youth Dance Theater. And they were like the show, you know, the little pack of 10 show competition kids. Oh, yes. But it was so much. Like I had two older brothers in sports and the idea of trying to throw in (laughs) competition competition (laughs) dance was like... Intense. No, very intense. And plus, I was tall pretty young. And I feel like I was taller. I didn't fit into a line. Oh, you would have been well. such a good rockette. I know. But I was 5'8 I was by the time I was in like 12 years old. I was tall, though. Because you can't be taller than that, can you? You can. They keep changing the height requirements. Oh, okay. I mean, over the years they have. I think they're... They go as high as maybe five, ten. Oh, really? Or so. Oh, I thought like you were the tallest. No, I was sort of middle of the line. Oh. It was kind. Of, I think it was like five, five and a half inches to five, ten and a half inches, something like that. That was maybe yeah. the height requirement when I was a rockette. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about um, when you think back on the Dolly Dinkle. First of all. I'm saying Dolly Dinkle, but it's not the name of any place. So Dolly Dinkle yeah. is what professional entertainers use as a generic term for your little local dance studio. Yeah. And if they say, you know, oh, she's so Dolly Dinkle, they kind they mean she's so amateur. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a snotty eye roll sure. term. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which the stu- you know, students from these schools now are just will blow your minds they're so amazing and they were from our school too but it's just us being snobs we're just snobby humans yeah (laughs) i took that school so seriously yeah and like what classes i'm going to take and do i move up and all that i remember them being such big decisions just how serious I was going to take it was a big decision. You know, how much driving did we want to do? Like committing to that life. Right. Even young is a lot of work. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a lot of work. And money. And money. Yeah. You got to want it. You got to want it. Like you can't just be, I think I was mainly like, I love dancing. Yes. But looking back on it, I was probably melting down a lot. Do you know, like I'd be like, I want to dance, but in the car between the baseball and you're going to, and you're changing in the back seat and do your leotard and then you're eating like a yeah. sandwich in the car while you're changing and do your leotard and you're running out the door. I think I was probably freaking out. A oh, lot. just yes. melting down. And your poor parents. I don't know. Yes, I know. I know. Okay. <clears throat> so. Your first, uh, okay, so tell me what you consider to be like your first, oh my gosh, I think I really want to be a dancer. Was it when you were in that little school or was it when you were... You mean a professional dancer? Yeah, or just when was your nudge of like, I want it? Well, I don't think I really 
I never, I wasn't really looking hard at being a professional dancer. I didn't have any role models for that. I didn't really consider that a viable occupation. Right. But in terms of being a dancer as my childhood ambition. Yeah. um, I, you know, pretty young, I think, I think by, by the time I was 12, for sure, 11 or 12, I got enrolled into a, a more serious school that had ballet exams and would put you in point shoes and stuff. Yes. And, yes. And I knew I wanted to be in the, I wanted to take the exams. I knew I wanted to be on point, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then the ballet company formed, I think when I was in middle school, maybe. And I knew I wanted to be in that ballet company. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was all about it. Yeah. Definitely by the time I was 12, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I never did point, um, but can you explain to the listeners what happens to feet <laughs> in point shoes? It's, what they are. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's so, so terrible. gross. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Te- uh, like, how young did you start jamming your toes on top of steel with cotton wadded all around? <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely by the time I was 12, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're just it's un, unreal that yeah. we do this. I don't know how, who started that? I don't know. Was that a Russian ballet thing? Like know. who I should look that up. <laughs> we all just accept it. We just accept oh, it. Oh, so it's going to be super painful. My toenails are going to fall off and my toes yeah. are going to feel and look broken for probably ever. Your toes are going to bleed. All right. <laughs> yeah. You're going to stand on the tips of your toes. Yeah. Has that affected your feet forever? Oh, well, I mean, they still work. Yeah. But, you know, they certainly don't look as pretty from right whatever they do to your toes. But I didn't I, I quit uh, dancing on point after high school. There wasn't really because I went to college and yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't I was I didn't think I would be a professional ballerina. Yeah. You know, I was tall and I had boobs and that you didn't yeah. that didn't really work. Right. That's true. That's why I stopped taking gymnastics. I was like. Wait, all the gymnasts are like <laughs> not even different, five feet tall. Different bodies. <laughs> yes. The reason why she can flip so quick is because she doesn't have very far to go. <laughs> Just to do, 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 do. Yeah, I think it That's makes savvy. a difference. That's heavy. Tell me your process of getting all these details. Was it piles oh. and piles and piles of journals just for years? Were they organized already? Well, no, but um, so my grandmother, my mom's mom, who is now passed away she told me um you should really keep a journal in case you ever want to write a book and this was well well into my career but at the time she said it I was performing on a cruise ship in Alaska Mm -hmm. and my grandmother was able to come on the ship with my mom and dad and my aunt and see the show and all that stuff and it was super fun but that's really when I started because my grandmother suggested it so there was a lot, a lot of time, a lot of years before that, that I, I didn't write. No, I didn't keep any notes. And I didn't keep any notes after that cruise ship time either. I didn't have any journaling after that. It was only that one chunk of time. Oh, wow. So what happened is as soon as I decided I was going to write the book, the very first thing I did was just regurgitate every little detail I could remember. I just typed as fast as I could. I just brainstormed everything I could remember about my time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's how I started it. And I just tried to capture as much as I could before I forgot. And then I organized it and I made it, 
you know, more funny and, yeah. you know, I put the work in after that. Yes, yes, yes. The details are wonderful. I did send out drafts of the book to some of my rough, my friends, my Rockhead friends and friends from Playboys, Girls of Rock and Roll, people that yeah. had lived these journeys with me because I did, I was fuzzy on some of the details. So I would, you know, check with them. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? And yeah. does this sound right? Oh, I bet that was fun too. Just because then you got to have all these great conversations with yeah. all these old friends. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I like is the contrast between the first time you went to New York and the second time you, and the, oh, and the yeah. last, the end. Talk a little bit about, you know, because at first you're young and you're like afraid you're going to get murdered. You're trying <laughs> to figure out how to live with cats and how to eat and yes. like just you are scared of New York kind yes. of, but also trying really hard to get into the dance classes and it's kind of beating you up a little bit totally. versus the end. So just tell me about young girl what year are you just suddenly moving from a small town in michigan to new yeah. york yeah so i grew up in a small in michigan and um in the suburbs in 1980 well in 1987 i left uh michigan to go to new york city and i was kind of terrified of the city really mm-hmm. you know i was not used to a big city at all i mean we we very we didn't even venture into detroit much at all my family because you know we kind of grew up with this fear of yeah i think it was murder capital of the world at the time <laughs> there's good reasons to be scared yeah. of detroit if you don't know how to work it it's yeah decent risk that's a valid fear it's valid <laughs> it's but valid. you know i i do go and enjoy detroit of much course. more often spend the night there and enjoy so many things there now but but I really grew up terrified of Detroit and then you know also terrified of New York City so I kind of felt like you know like the country mouse going to the city in um country bumpkin or something Mm -hmm. moving to the city and I was I was terrified of someone murdering me in my sleep at night and (laughs) And just getting around is so exhausting. Getting around, like the subway, the taxis. I wasn't used to the wide variety of people and the the tremendous amount of people. Just that whole thing. And it's it's pretty daunting. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, um, everything you can think of happens in New York City, it seems like, from the best to the worst. Yeah. And you have to learn to navigate it and learn what streets to go down and what streets not to go down. And if you're going to go down some street streets that are sketchy, how do you deal with the people that are on those streets, especially as a pretty 21-year-old blonde girl just bopping down the street? I'm probably too <laughs> trusting for this city. Yes, yes. <laughs> da, da, da. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm a sitting duck. <laughs> I was totally a sitting duck. Oh, gosh. I think you... So, not that you you say that you're a goody two shoes you say that you're you know (laughs) yeah but I love the fact that I think after all these experiences though you might still say you're a goody two shoes oh yeah yeah I am (laughs) yeah but I but I'm more worldly wise now oh yeah oh yeah and what what's a very hopeful thing is you could put a different kind of person in all these situations and they would just be pissed, <laughs> you know. They would just be like, <laughs> "I hate this life." <laughs> but you're just like, "Let's buy each other presents backstage, <laughs> la la la," you know. Or I didn't get the job, and or, or whatever it is. But people can get crushed. And this book kept reminding me that what you have to do, like if you think you want to be a dancer, an actor, a singer, whatever. 
you need to know that you're about to potentially to get crushed. your ass kicked <laughs> like on the wreck. Yes. Yeah. People are going to be mean to you. They're not going to believe in you. You're going to go through grueling things. You're going to travel terrible places and not yeah. make money or and then make a lot of money and then everybody thinks badly of you for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> Just all this stuff. And your attitude is so good through all of it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I had to survive if I wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. So you you can't you can't keep a real bad attitude for too long or you won't make it. Right. And nobody's going to want to hire you if you look too desperate or too grumpy or you have a bad attitude. Mhm. So, I want to know how you think you developed that. Oh, uh, wow. You know, honestly, I think I had a super good foundation, just super good family foundation, church, you know, yeah. good val just knowing good values, good morals, knowing who I who I am, mm-hmm. you know, knowing mm-hmm. like we talked about like who am I if I'm not in yeah. a show or whatever, but you know, deep down you got to know your self-worth and you got to know um you're not going to be tempted by dangerous things because it'd be very easy to get into trouble in a oh, lot of these places and in easy. showbiz and fall in with the there wrong are people. So <laughs> many R- reading this book is like watching <laughs> this, like coming up to like danger, danger. <laughs> hey, little white girl, turn away. You know, <laughs> because at any chance during all of these. <laughs> You could have made terrible choices. Oh, terrible. So <laughs> terrible. I know. I had some guardian angels. Yeah. But I think. For sure. Yeah. It, you you got to really, you got to be thick skinned. You got to know who you are. You can't let people change, you know, your your value in your mind of, of yeah. who you are and what your worth is. Even if you don't get the job and you don't get the job and you don't get the job and you don't get yeah. the job. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be. Um, so I had, I, I had, I just had a great family and a good foundation that, that helped a lot. Oh, yeah, because it seems like you right away, you didn't have to go through that dark young period where some, and I guess a lot of it is because as a dancer, you must be healthy. You must be, or at least, gosh, you would think so. Well, or at least you must, you must have enough energy in some way. Which means you can't get in too much trouble, right? Or well, did you, you see would, people? You would think so. I mean, I hear, yeah. I, I wasn't in a ballet company, but one of my rock cat friends was, and I hear ballerinas can be the least healthy people of all, you know, just, just smoking and, you know, not really eating and, um, wow, right? And to say thin or whatever, and you would think, how, how could they ever keep up yeah. their stamina? How could they... I, luckily, I didn't. I, I wasn't into that, but you know, the the line, the way in at the very first company, oh, right? Yeah. At the very first company. So the very first little ballet company. There's a way in. Oh right, and right. Then, when I was a kid. When you were a kid. Yeah. And from then on, how much of that was your life as a dancer being measured or weighed or? told something about your body and how did you figure out how to deal with that oh in a yeah healthy way well I knew that it would mess with me you know mess with my brain so yeah. I avoided some of the companies and some of the jobs that I knew were really harsh about that you know that would just no matter what you look like they would tell you to lose five pounds or they had 
regular weigh-ins. I avoided those. Oh, wow. I, and you just found out, like, people knew. Yeah, they just had a through reputation. the grapevine. Yeah, okay. they'd have a reputation. Now, the Rockettes, yeah. when, I, when I was in the Christmas shows, they didn't do that. But in the Las Vegas show, which was going year round, mm-hmm. we did have kind of surprise weigh-ins every now and then that you had to be prepared. Well, you couldn't really be prepared for it. I mean, it was just a surprise right. thing. And um, they did it very well. There was the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, I think, right there. And mm-hmm. they had they had people go there and do this. What's that body mass index BMI? Yeah. yeah. You know, like a series of tests. And I think we had to do that when we first got hired. And then maybe we just had weigh-ins in the dressing room occasionally. And they'd give you a couple of weeks to either gain or lose the weight. You were out of your range. You got a range. The details I wrote about in the book, I don't quite remember. It wasn't right, like you had to right, be right. like 120. You, yeah. had, you had a range right, right, right. of what your supposedly healthy weight was for your t- body type and all that. But still, it was, you know, it's, it's ner- I mean, you don't even have to get weighed in to be, have it be a nerve-wracking thing. You just know if you're going to audition... For stuff, you, you can't be overweight. Yeah. You can't. But actually in Vegas, you know, I, they considered me underweight <laughs> for, for some reason. I wasn't. Oh, really? Yeah, it was weird. So I was always worried about, about that, but I didn't really want to gain weight to. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And, but the, the calories burned per day in these descriptions <laughs> of, <laughs> the, so there's, a, there's an era post New York kind of modern dance where you're did you go from there to Indiana or there to California for the summer stock is that right is that the right order oh yeah I was in New York and I was a modern quote-unquote modern dancer though right um yeah I danced in a modern dance company and then I I went to um I had some a little hiatus in between, but then I ended up in California. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I ended up in California, but I got a job in Indianapolis. That's what happened. Right. Okay. Right. You're you right. At there. a dinner theater in Indianapolis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so this is one of those, this troupe was so tight because you basically lived at a theater. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yes. And was it called Beef and Boards? Beef and Boards. I believe it's still there in oh Indianapolis. I think it is. Okay, so you live there with the cast over part the restaurant. Part of the cast. Oh, part, part of the, of the cast. cast. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Over the restaurant. Yeah. And did what show? Funny Girl. Oh, my gosh. You know, Barbara Streisand did that movie. My friend Jenny was in the show, and somebody was leaving the show, mm-hmm. and she convinced the stage manager to hire me. Oh, that's awesome. I think that was my first professional musical. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to tell you another thing that I re- realized as far as when you learn something about, like you realized, oh, I don't really want to put myself in a company where they regularly weigh in, whatever. This yeah. was a hard thing for me to learn when I did Follies, you know, the musical Follies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Ann Arbor Civic, Th- Civic Theater did it many years ago and I was one of the ghost showgirls and... So I wore really elaborate costumes oh, yeah. you know, with feathers, head, head pieces, and a bathing suit thing with birds on it and yeah. everything and heels. And I, we only did maybe four shows, six shows. I can't remember what that run was like at that era of civic theater. But I remember thinking, if I have to stand here on this step in this order wearing this outfit for one more minute I am going to freak 
out. And I had friends who were like, I wish we could do this show forever. I could do a show for six months. And I'm like, I can't. I think I just learned that about myself in that one show. Like, suddenly I realized, like, oh, I'm not cut out. I'm more cut out for, like, stage management production or stand-up or something that changes constantly because, like, literally I was like, I couldn't do it again. Was it the boredom or what were Yeah, I think it was. I think it's the the repetition. Um, Because a lot of jobs are repetition, but theater, you don't realize until you're in the middle of it that it's like, no, it's 710. I'm wearing these shoes standing on this mark saying this thing to this person who (laughs) I've said it to 500 times. And if I do it differently, I will be fired. (laughs) I have to keep doing it. (laughs) And then I have to run off and put on these pants, which stink. <laughs> you, the glamour of showbiz, you've just described it. I know, I know. Oh, my God. I was thinking um, about, there's a lot of funny stories about, you know, when things go wrong on stage and how you react to it. And I think it's towards the end during a blizzard, during oh, like yeah. a rock at Detroit. Yes. You, do you kick your shoe across the Fox Theater? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if any of you know the Fox Theater in Detroit, it's, it's, it's beautiful. An absolutely incredibly gorgeous theater. I think it seats about 5,000 people. Uh-huh. Yeah, we had a blizzard that day and, and everybody was commuting into the show. Nobody lived, we didn't live in cast housing in Detroit mm-hmm, or whatever when mm-hmm. everyone had to drive in through this blizzard so we didn't know who was even going to make it to the show oh sure and there were 256 people in the audience out of 5,000 I saw the show oh report my God. 250 so it looked like so brave nobody oh I know nobody and and we were so distressed and nobody wanted to do the show we were so stressed out and in our biggest rocket number with you know 200 kicks or whatever and our little red costumes with the white fur trim christmas in new york yeah in detroit in De- christmas in new york in detroit <laughs> with 256 people in a 5000 seat theater uh-huh. i stood next to my partner in one section and the buckles of our shoes connected and when i went to kick my leg my shoe exploded <laughs> off my foot and the fox has very high ceilings uh-huh. and it went way high like a rocket ship going wow. up into outer space and all 256 people you could watch Ooh. their heads trace the shoe <laughs> up and over to the other side of the stage it w- yes it was and then you just danced, right? I well, With I had to make a choice. Heel. It was the beginning of the number, right? I had to make a choice if I was going to run off stage or what. What was I going to do? It was broken. Obviously, my shoe. I couldn't put it back on, even right? If right. I, I got it. So, you know, I. It's a team sport, being a rockette. Yes. And if if there's one person missing, it it's a hole. I mean, there's a hole yeah. in the formations it's going to look terrible so i decided to suck it up and dance yeah. with one two and a half inch heel on my foot and one, and one bare one, foot. one bare foot yes oh my gosh it's hard to do it's, it's really like hard. clunk 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 you know it sounds try terrible. it yeah no try it i at home. no i believe you <laughs> i'm just gonna believe you i wore chunky maybe two inch heels last night at yeah. blue llama and my friend was like i was like oh i don't know bare legs in these shoes on the first night of the show. I don't know. I don't know. She's like, no, this is your outfit. This is your outfit. But I didn't put them on until the minute before. Yes. I was, and as soon as the show was over, I took them 
off again. So you made it through the whole show. I made it through the so, whole show. So brave. But also just the amount of kicking in heels. Yeah. Like my joints were sore reading about <laughs> these rehearsal days. So yeah, like just seven hour days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So describe what, because I think the Vegas Rocket stint was one of my favorite things to read about because you built a little life there. You had a lot of right. friends and activities and people had homes and got married and you got to know each other in the back and like it was a, a long running gig. It was a long running gig. 12 shows a week for years on end. Yeah. So people could build lives. Yeah. yeah. And they did. So t- describe um, that lifestyle, like day rehearsals, night shows, meetings, like that life sounds so intense. It was like running a marathon. We had Fridays off and mm-hmm. that was it just Fridays off and we did 12 shows a week and then and they were evening shows so like I think there was a 745 show and a 10 o'clock show or something like mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. finished about midnight and that might seem very doable to a lot of people but it's a very uh, physically demanding show and um, then we would but we would constantly be changing it up like they just they would constantly your want to change a number stressful they'd, on your j- brain yeah also yes and they'd constantly be well we change it up for christmas um we put new numbers in take numbers out we'd also have cleanup rehearsals so i think it was i can't remember how often but very regularly we'd have what they call a cleanup rehearsal because choreography tends to morph over time and mm-hmm. and the rockets have to look exactly the same all the time Mm-hmm. So you can't mm-hmm. have one person doing something slightly differently or you right, can't have right, your formations right. off by an inch or whatever. So we were we'd rehearse this show that we had been doing 12 shows a week for months, years. And you'd rehearse it. <laughs> and we'd have to rehearse it. It oh. would just kill you to have to rehearse something, you know. Yes. And then if you had to make a change, you know, it's all in your muscle memory by that time. Yeah. You're just going on muscle memory like you're, it's not in your brain anymore. And if mm-hmm. then if they ask you to make a change. It would really goof you up, you know, because oh, yeah. it's just oh, yeah. muscle memory. So, yeah, it was really grueling, really, really tough to do. And I, I was exhausted a lot. I couldn't really do a lot of other physical activity while mm-hmm. I was doing the show. But it but it seemed like it. you were very active. It seems like you were going on little... Um, let's go hike or let's have a party for someone's birthday or let's, you know, sew each other little G strings or whatever. Like everybody, it it seemed like everybody did have this full experience outside of the show. Oh, we did. And that amount of energy is, I mean, you're in your twenties at this point. I was in my late twenties. Oh, okay. Yeah. I probably had the energy to do that at that point. Early (laughs) thirties. Yeah. I mean, Vegas, we'd finish our show at midnight and and it was after that, that our parties would start. Like if it was Halloween and we were going to have a pumpkin carving party, we'd go to someone's house after the show at, you know, midnight and then be up till 3am and then Mm -hmm. go go home and sleep. Yeah. Until noon. It's just a completely different life. Yeah, such a different but life. everybody in that area kind of living that completely different life to where the yeah. this was the normal Vegas life. Well, Vegas, night is day and day is night, you know. Yeah. The casinos don't want you to know when you're supposed to go to bed. They'd like you to stay up all night and, and right. gamble. So, yeah, there's a lot of... 
it's it's just a different lifestyle there. So different from Midwest in Michigan. <laughs> Is there anything you miss about it? Well, sure. I mean, it's 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 a pretty exciting place to be. You know, yeah. all those beautiful casinos. There's a lot of beautiful casinos. Oh, right. You know, like the oh, Bellagio yeah. or whatever. Food. There's beautiful vistas. There's beautiful yeah. shows. Yes. There's yes. always something exciting and new mm-hmm. to do. And and I, I love performers. You know, I love, yeah. I love being around performers. Was the Vegas show where you worked with like Maurice Hines yeah. and um, what's her name? The woman... Susan Anton. Susan Anton and Paige O'Hara, who is Belle in the movie Di- uh, Beauty and the Beast, that Di- oh, Disney yes. movie. Oh, I looked her up. Oh, my gosh. So w- tell me about that as a young dancer. How did you ever not get starstruck? Was it always like, oh, my gosh, there's Maurice Hines. Like, oh, ha- yeah, we were starstruck. Yeah. And the funny thing was, you know, we were, they called, were, probably the, we were called the stars of the show. I mean, yeah. it was, this, the Rockettes were the stars of the show. And they, but they also had, they had a, you know, star spot because they were a draw to Maurice Hines or Susan Anton or Paige O'Hare. But, oh yeah, we were starstruck. And then, and then of course we became friends with people, you know, friends with Paige O'Hare and Susan Anton, whatever. And Buddy Epson. And Buddy Epson, that wasn't with the Rockettes, but. Oh, that was in Branson. That was pre-Rockettes. But it was a show, the very intense show with a intense schedule as well, right? In Branson. Well, it was just Buddy Epson and myself and another uh, young woman. We were his sidekicks. Oh, right. We would right, sing right. and dance and do skits, kind of like uh, Beverly Hillbillies type yeah, skits. Yeah, yeah. Because he was, yeah, part of the Beverly Hillbillies cast. Oh, my um, gosh. I can't believe you. You did. Judd Clampett. Yes. From the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, my gosh. And just, I didn't ha- have any idea that he was a song and dance man. He was a vaudeville guy originally. I love it. Yeah. He I did, love he it. He really had a lot of skills. Triple oh, threat kind so, of a guy. Oh, yeah. I love it. Well, I love the idea of, like, you, you getting to... It's just, it's such an intense amount of, like, talent and creation packed in with the show changing constantly. Oh, All yeah. of them. And the stars changing. And right. And a different little middle act and everything. Which is something if you just, oh, I'm going to Vegas for this thing, so I'm going to go see this show. And you go see this show, and maybe you're super duper impressed, like you should be. <laughs> yeah. But probably you have no idea the hours and hours and hours of because you make it look easy right i know we had one of the acts so we had specialty acts in the rockette show in vegas in Mm -hmm. addition to the star spots you know because the rockettes would change clothes we'd alternate between a star spot and the rockettes and a specialty act and one of our specialty acts that i just thought was so fun and funny this is somebody does this for a career is we had Stacy Moore and his mess of mutts. It was, I think, about 10 rescue dogs that he had trained, and now they oh were Vegas gosh. performers. So, you know, every night he'd come in with 10 leashes, 10 dogs yapping, coming in the backstage, and <laughs> they would do all their little tricks on stage. I mean, that's, you know. That's wonderful. Seeing a dog before that. a show would make me so happy. I know, and they're balancing <laughs> so on a little tightrope, mailing little letters in little mailboxes and jumping through hoops and all the cute things you got to (laughs) you got to see him every day yeah oh my god 
That's adorable. You know, See, and that takes time. I mean, that takes dedication, time, and maybe you're a little goofy to think of doing that for a living. Oh, it's yeah. so different. <laughs> but also you could um, think about, like, what would what's maybe more f- like hanging out with dogs that can do tricks is pretty fun <laughs> right and a bunch of dancers <laughs> right Vegas. there's worse ways to live I mean yeah it sounds pretty fun to me if you can pull it off Paul and I so Paul uh my boyfriend does a podcast called Diamond Dust Ups and he writes about baseball fights like fights that happen <laughs> in baseball wow so he met a former tiger I'm I'm milt Milt Wilcox. Oh, God, I hope I'm saying that right. But he's like, I'm going to call him up and see if, like, he'll come on the show with me. And uh, so he finds this tiger, Detroit tiger from a long time ago. Yeah. That, he's, that he knows he was in this fight. And what he does now is uh, called Ultimate Air Dogs. What is that? He, like, trains dogs to, like, jump into pools or jump and do tricks or something. And we, at first we were like, gosh, that's a weird job. And they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. This guy went from being a baseball player yeah. to playing with dogs. <laughs> so I think he understands how to live. I think so. Like, I think everybody else is just jealous <laughs> if they're making fun of that guy. Because <laughs> I would, I'm on board with all of it, you know. He was, uh, he was around Michigan this summer. Maybe you saw the ultimate air dogs. Um, Shelly, why can't we live a normal life, you and I? What do you mean? <laughs> we, we have this need to live this unusual, creative Well, here's what life. I think. Here's what I think. I was thinking about this when you were um, waiting for you to come over. Um, the phrase alternative, like alternative lifestyle, has always bugged me because it sets you up as an other Right. Like it sets you up as like, well, alternative to what? To like something I don't want to do? <laughs> Is that what you mean by that? Yes. Like what you do. And if I'm not doing what you do, then I'm alternative. Maybe we're just all doing different things and we don't need to call someone the wrong way, you know? So I think it took me a long time in life to, um, and gosh, so much. I wish it had happened earlier, but things take time, you know, because I think about how much time I wasted. I feel like you really dove in the deep end pretty quick, right? Right. right. Pretty quick. I, I did a lot of flip-flopping, though, trying to be Early practi- years. Trying to be trying practical. To be practical. Yes. And it's, that is Kills exhausting. the creativity. It's exhausting. You're right. It's You're exhausting. So right. It really is. So I had to realize that, like, I'm I'm going to stop apologizing for just wanting to do the things I want to do that you don't understand. <laughs> like I want to make a calendar which is such a nice calendar. Which is just mm-hmm. pictures of me <laughs> I that love I your made calendar. Up. I love your I'm calendar. Gonna, I'm going to spend money producing them. <laughs> Hire photographers and buy props because you know and I don't need anybody to understand why you know because you can do your own thing but for me I'm going to really really host the best piano karaoke ever (laughs) or really really you know find the weird sketch that I want to do and it's because it's your you that's your thing in life that's your lifeblood that's your lifeblood that's what makes you thrive yeah, I guess I have 
the the joy is I have never not never I have let go of thinking of it as an alternative lifestyle or not a normal lifestyle <laughs> because I think that's just a lame concept. <laughs> you know, you've met enough people to know yeah. that there is no regular normal lifestyle. You've met enough people to know that that person who's like a rock and roll, roll playboy girl is also cross-stitch girl. Right. And she's also cookie exchange girl. And she's yeah. also not ready for intimacy girl. Right? And whatever she looks like or however big her boobs are doesn't really... <laughs> the fact that she dances or the fact that whatever, it doesn't dictate how the rest of your life is normal or not. You know? And, and the word normal and the world, word alternative, I have problems with anyway. You know, because who's deciding that? There's too many people in the world living different ways. There you know? is. I just, in my brain, when I was about 11, mm-hmm. I decided I could be normal or I could be a dancer. That's where my 11-year-old yeah. yeah. brain split mm-hmm. sp- split the world. And do you think it was because <laughs> you saw like a back-to-school special about a dancer who no. became wayward? <laughs> or was it or was it somebody physically telling you, where did you get that? Im- I, I often wonder know. where I got the impression from. And it's probably helpful adults saying, well, you better have a backup plan or whatever. Oh, well, that would make a lot of sense. And, and so we're marketed the wrong... It's not like we're marketed the wrong things. We're just whatever happens happens but when I think about the lies that you believe about how you should live when clearly you're like well I really like singing though (laughs) and somebody's like well but you got to do this math you're like are you sure (laughs) do I have Are you a hundred percent sure that the people that you know that are grown-ups that sing more do math more who's happier (laughs) you tell me the truth (laughs) because I don't believe you (laughs) I think my son loves math yeah, so wouldn't he loves sing. math. Wouldn't want to sing, sing, but yes. Right? So he doesn't want to sing. Right. You don't make him sing. No, goodness he no. He wants to do math. Yes. That's it. I let him do it. So then I don't want to do math. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I mean, I'll, I'll do some basic stuff. But, like, I don't feel... It, it's interesting. We were... I was with a bunch of theater girls. One is a teacher at um, Eastern. Uh, one used to work over at U of M. So they've been in a very academia theater setting for a while now, both of them. And have been in situations like university training situations where there's physicists and, you know, staff, full staff meetings. Sure. And have been made to feel, in their opinion, like, oh, look at you. <laughs> look at your cute little look department. At you, look at it's your cute, cute little, little theater job. person over there. <laughs> Instead of like, like there's a sense of science is more valuable. I get that. You get, I get it. That. But if we pulled out all the theater, if we extracted all the theater, all the music. It'd be hell. All the art, all the poetry. Nothing would be here. Who would who, who would really love that, that world? Who would love that world? Who designed that cute couch? Right, all the design. You know? Yeah, all of it. All of it. All the good. All the all the people who create incredible food. The emotions. It just the emotions need to be valued. So I think when I think about 
the um, what I love about this book, I think I've keeps just saying that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> you're welcome. And for but reading it. Well, no, it's such a happy, if you're a performer at all, it's such a delight to read this book because it's like you get to geek out with a theater friend about every little thing. Oh, I was going to tell you about hair. So years ago when we did hair, um, and I hadn't done theater in a long time, and I was so excited to get involved with civic theater because it's a tribe you know oh, for sure you're just climbing all over each other and in the musical hair in the musical it's hair it's a tribe yes. it's a tribe and so there's not a lot of even named roles there's people just roaming around and so it was just so normal to get injured or injure someone in hair because like there's scenes where the lights are flashing you're running doing things in reverse and you're climbing on a scaffolding or you're climbing over like an overturned washing machine whatever and at the end of the night you'd just be like oh okay like you're bruised (laughs) your pants are ripped someone kind of almost got a bloody nose you're just like had a great night see you tomorrow (laughs) and it was just like so important to do it to do it right so important to place your props you know where is that fake ham i need it right here i'm gonna put glow tape next to it we're so serious about it but it's so funny when you think about it oh it's so funny which is what the reason why i love consuming my mind with it and here's my i don't feel like i have to defend my position to you because no. you get it but the reason why i defend it is because Bad things are going to happen. <laughs> I don't need to yes. focus on it all the time. <laughs> it'll when it's time for me to have like sadness or drama, it'll find me. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. But in the meantime, I want to mainly do silly things. <laughs> it's really the truth, you know. Like there's going to be devastating floods. There's people are going to die suddenly. Like these things are going to happen. So. My healthy way of dealing with that reality of life is like, why not spend your time doing just ridiculously silly, joyful, creative things? Yes, art, humor, it helps us all cope with life. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the creativity, like what just intentionally creating, especially, well, I kind of do hate Tech Week for a show. So will you explain, in case people uh, don't understand Tech Week, just where it falls and why it's annoying for some and crucial for others and just kind of explain what tech week is in your world sure so if you're doing a musical say um right before dress rehearsals happen you you move it you know you're in a in studios rehearsal studios Mm -hmm. usually uh rehearsing all the all the uh the music and the dance and and the uh, story and then usually about the last week Uh, before the show opens, um, you're going to move into the actual venue that you're going to be performing in. And so you've got sound and lighting to work out and you've got set pieces and, uh, you know, that could kill you if you get in the way when they're being pushed out onto stage or whatever. And there's a lot of glow tape backstage so you don't fall off the stage or fall down the stairs in the dark because you're running through backstage in the dark and yeah um, there's a lot of backstage choreography that you have to be aware of so you don't run into each other and uh, there's a lot of grueling lights standing on stage uh, or or, uh, sorry grueling hours standing on stage while they adjust the lighting and Mm -hmm. you're stopping and starting numbers and um, it's a very tedious process it could be like a 10-hour day what I love about that is that you go from being kind of the most important person 
Did they're just like you, number three, move over. (laughs) (laughs) The spotlight's over here, dumbass. And it's not like that, but you're kind of like a prop at that point. It's like, oh yeah, well, it's technical. Yeah, you you got to do the technical work. It's super important. Yeah, yeah, and it's what I think is is fun to uh, peek into is if you go to a big elaborate show and you're super impressed, what you can know is there's an extra hundred people working at least, you know, Mm. pulling curtains up and down and placing props and unzipping and zipping people and changing. Like describe the quick change because I have had to do quick changes in musical theater where you have a minute. Yes. But you've had to do multiple. If you can describe just one of the shows how many different costumes and headpieces and things in one show in particular and how quick those changes were oh boy it's hard to think of that um well in the Rockettes show when I was in Detroit for instance we we would the dressing room I think we had to go down the stairs we had to run downstairs we were just coming off stage running downstairs changing our clothes and coming back up and I can't remember how um, many numbers we did in that particular show, but it was, you were just running. You were just running, changing, coming back on stage, running, changing, coming back on stage. Yeah. That's how it felt for the whole whole entire show. But I've done, um, I remember one particular costume change that was so fast, and that was in a show I did in San Diego oh, yeah, yeah, called yeah. Gypsy. And I had to be this French maid, and... Um, and I had a couple of lines with, with the lead, with Gypsy Rose Lee in the show. So it was important that I get, I had to say my line or it would ruin her right, lines right, right. and she was the star of the show. But the fast change was so fast that I had a team of people waiting for me backstage. In, so I was, yeah. I was in the wings, you know, and, I, and everything had to be preset. Like the dress had to be on the floor in a, in a little puddle, in a circle with the shoes right, right where they needed to be. And, you know, I had just a whole team of people pulling up my dress, zipping it, taking whatever I had on my head off, putting the new wig and hat on, pinning it. It was crazy. It was like indie uh, 500 crew, right? Yes, you yes, know, yes. where there's that whole team. Yeah. It was, ex- it was like that. Yeah. And in the wings. And then you're just rushing on stage and then you have to try to yeah. look calm when you it's enter. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. And you're thinking, I hope my wig isn't. And you like, do that. Like, that is your when job I get out there. every single day from, like, 745 day. to 746. <laughs> That's what's happening in yeah. your world. Period. Someone is just exactly. stripping you down to your underwear and putting you in a dress and shoving you out again, yeah. <laughs> taking your hair. da 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 It's just ridiculous. So hold on one second. It's so hard to narrow down the last few things that we should talk about because I want to just go live your life for a day, (laughs) but somehow have the stamina to handle it and not kill my knees. Like when I think about the way your body must have been trained in order to handle all of it and even understanding like even dancers are going, oh, I need to work out. Right. That blows my mind. Like how are you not already burning like 50,000 calories a day and then you feel like you need to go to the gym or or is it just you need to keep moving your body so you don't get stiff well some dancers continue to take dance class and stay because it depends on the show that you're doing what you do in the show might not keep your tap skills up or or you just might need feel like you need ballet class to keep yourself doing um you know the foundational work that 
keeps your technique good. We did a lot of yoga. We actually had someone come and, and give us a yoga class um, every Wednesday on stage before the show in Las Vegas. That was really good. Yoga was a great thing. But yeah, it takes a lot to maintain your body, your flexibility, your stamina, your just your skill set. I forget sometimes that performing is such a physical job. Until just even a little bit of performing. Even right. just standing on I mean yeah. singing too, right? It's is is so physical. physical. But I think that would surprise a lot of people if they're not in theater to think of it as like such a physical sport because you have your mind has to be on but your feet and your back and your arms and your mouth and every single part of you matters like every single especially as a rock cat but before we get back into that we haven't even talked about um you did a little time with playboys girls of rock and roll but that wasn't the very first playboy thing was it that was the first so remind me how that came about the only what I would love to know, what was your perception of it going in and what surprised you about the experience? Okay. Um, well, first you asked me, how did I get to be in the Playboy's Girls of Rock and Roll? So Playboy, as in the Hugh Hefner Playboy Empire, did some live, had some live shows. They had a live show in Las Vegas at a hotel called The Maxim, I believe. And they did, had, did some touring shows for a while. And here's the wonderful thing that I found about showbiz, and I wonder if you've experienced this too, is that kind of once you get your foot in the door and you get to know people, if you do a good job and you have a good attitude, people want to hire you. And sometimes you'll have to audition for a job, sort of, but but if they know your work ethic and they know what you're capable of doing, it just makes their job easier to just ask you to do the show. And so that was a, so that's how I got this Playboy show. Basically, is the the choreographer had worked with me on another project, and he just he wanted me to come audition for the show. He said I'd be great for it. I'd be so who you know becomes super important. And how you treat every single person, every single person, because he was just he was a performer with me. He wasn't in a leadership role until he got this choreography job with Playboy. So yeah, how you treat every single person. Um, so that's how I got a lot of my jobs once I, you know, sort of got my foot in the door is right. people, people knew me. And, um, you said, what was my perception? Yeah, meaning what like, was your meaning other like when you heard like, oh, we want you to audition for Playboy. Were you like, oh, weird. I don't know if that's me. Were you scared of it at all? Yeah, I was. Yes, I did have some trepidation about it. It just was so shocking to me to think that you know like I think of myself this little midwestern goody two-shoes and then I have this opportunity in Los Angeles to perhaps be a part of this playboy show as a rock and (laughs) roll girl it was so well here's the thing okay so I love the movie Grease oh yeah growing up and you know Olivia Newton-John passed away recently right yeah but I, you know, I kind of related to that Sandy character, like sure. that goody, goody two shoes character, mm-hmm. but with that, that little desire to be that, yeah. you know, the hot babe at the end when she dresses up in yeah, the black yeah, 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 and yeah. wears the high heels and, you know, um, and Playboy kind of gave me that opportunity to go from goody two shoes to this role yes, as this yes, rock yes. and roll, you know, like this fantasy thing, oh, to be this yeah. rock and roll. Girl. Yes, yes. 
So, but I was when I had to go to, for my audition, which was just meeting with the woman who ran the show. She, I was nervous, and I, all I had to do was meet with her and talk with her. That's it. I didn't have to sing or dance or or anything like that. I didn't know what I was going to have to do when I when I went to visit her. But yeah, I was nervous. I mean, I I wasn't really uh, expecting or wanting to disrobe. Right, <laughs> right, and that became kind of. You didn't really have to face up to it that much, did you? Like, they were like, oh, this costume's really tiny. But there was just the one show where there was a couple of women who were topless, right? Oh, yeah. We performed in Indonesia. We did a tour of Indonesia. We we were in Singapore. Um, We were in Taiwan. We were in Puerto Rico. And we were in Japan. I think I covered all of them. And I think it was, I might be wrong, but I know for sure Japan, the, the producer in Japan wanted some topless dancers in the show. And and other places it was, you, you weren't right, allowed. Like it was, you couldn't yes, do it in yes. Indonesia. In Singapore, like against, there were censors and yeah, they couldn't have topless dancers. But in Japan, they wanted some topless dancers in the show and Playboy would not allow, we had a couple of playmates in our shows, but we had different roles, like different tracks, singers, mm-hmm, dancers. Mm-hmm and playmates in each cast but the playmates were not allowed to be the topless dancers or whatever to be the topless uh, performers which doesn't it seem like they would be the ones that should be and I could not figure that out so we had to hire other people other dancers to do to do those topless roles oh it's so weird you go from one place where they don't allow boobs to another place who's like we want the boobs and then yes. and then so tell me what you learned about interacting with the people that come to a playboy girls of rock and roll show what was that like what because i've always wondered what oh you had those great bodyguard people we had a bodyguard yes we had a bodyguard when we were in indonesia and singapore and japan for sure um, well, so so if yeah. they were around, you were obviously pretty comfortable. But how did people interact with you, and was it what did you learn from that? Because I'd picture you just having a great attitude about it, but but that has to be a little wild of just being put out there as a playboy girl of rock and roll. It was wild, and it depended on the venue and the country that we were in. When we were in Singapore, we were at this nightclub, this very high-end nightclub but it was a pretty small place and um they jammed so many people into that place more than I'm sure was allowed right. you know by the fire, fire department or whatever right. and we had to our dressing room we had to walk through the crowd basically to go from our dressing room which was probably just a closet um to the stage and our bodyguards sort of had to you know fend off people make sure they weren't like reaching out whatever to to touch us or whatever but we would get um flowers and really expensive bottles of champagne and gold-plated orchids and like gifts sent gifts presented to us and wow things like that some places um some places we'd have like paparazzi waiting at the hotels trying to take your snap your photo when you're just walking to breakfast or something which was really odd, and I did not like that. Um, you know, I can see why celebrities just go off the deep end and, you know, like punt, 
punch someone sure. trying to take their photo. Sure. You're like, this is my life. Yeah. Yeah. So we would have, we'd have to sit in a restaurant for our breaks. There was no green room. I remember when we were in Singapore and, you know, people would just come up to us the entire time. And yeah. so we, you, you really had to couldn't be get on. A, you had to be on the whole time. That was a little tough. Um, I'm trying to think in Japan, Japan was awesome. Because we had a whole entourage of people that traveled with us. Oh, yeah. We had a translator. We had a female translator. We had some young guys who were like our gophers that would go get anything we needed. Yeah. And then we had the producer and a couple of extra people. We had a whole entourage of people that would take us everywhere. And we were in really nice venues. And we were treated super, super well. And if we said, oh, you know, we have a couple of days off. We want to go visit Kyoto. How do we get there? You know, they would, he would, the producer would just arrange everything for us. Oh my Pay gosh. for everything, the hotel, the bullet train, the meals. Yeah. Um, so someplace we were treated, we were just lavished yeah. upon. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's nice then. I love that. That's great. I, I was wondering when I was reading that, like how I would do with that kind of attention. I've only had like the tiniest bit of that kind of attention of like, I think it was something like I won this trip for being a sales manager or something. We ended up at this crazy resort where they were having like a bikini contest or something. And somebody talked me into doing it. And I was like, oh, I'm suddenly on stage in a bikini. And I don't (laughs) think it's very me. I think maybe this is the last time this is ever going to happen. And when I think about how many times you've been on stage in a bikini, like (laughs) leaping around, kicking. Leaping, not just in a bikini, but leaping. Leaping, Leaping (laughs) twirling. With things strapped to you, head pieces and (laughs) things flying off of you. It's like, oh my gosh, you have to be so super comfortable with... Well, with just not only your body, and of course you're comfortable with your body because you're a dancer, but just the costumes. No, dancers are never comfortable with their bodies. They're so critical. But I mean your physical ability to maneuver through space is what I mean with comfortable with your body. True. Like you know how to run across the stage in a way that the G-string won't fall off or go up your butt or whatever. You understand that part. Very important to know that. It's really important. So tell me about, there's so many funny costume and props. The the shoe is funny. The candy cane is hilarious. Like did the candy cane really weigh 10 pounds? Yes, yes. So... That's so when, ridiculous. when I was doing a Christmas show with the Rockettes in Detroit, we had a number where we had these props that were giant candy canes, but they were made yeah. out of wood. Yeah. They were huge. They were like, yeah. like three feet, so three feet high. Right. Sure, and sure. like a baseball bat, but, but yeah. with candy cane top on You're it. Just dancing with it. Yeah. With a weight. Yeah. <laughs> just carried a weight around. It, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, my, I, it slipped out of my hand one show and it just, Whack, I whacked myself in the nose with it. So it's like hitting yourself in the face with a baseball bat. Oh, that's right. And I was, you know, kind of seeing stars. And I thought I was going to have a bloody nose on stage. And my eyes were watering. Oh, my gosh. And when I had to tell the stage manager to write up an accident report in case I had any, you know, issues, physical Hit repercussions. Yeah, he wrote, yeah, hit in the face with a candy cane. I said, okay. No, no one's going to think that's going to hurt a person, right? Right. Put a three-foot-high wooden 10-pound candy cane, whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's ridiculous. And the the wreath, the wreath description of where your face has to be in relationship (laughs) to the wreath and where your arms have to be. And every... Yeah. 
here's what I would love to know, because we did the perception of Playboy versus like being in Playboy. What about the perception of the Rockettes versus physically being inside of a precision dance troupe? What do you think would surprise people to know if they've ever seen the Rockettes? Well, one big surprise is in the kick line, which is their famous move, right? Where they Mm -hmm. all do those eye-high kicks and they're linked arm-in-arm. Right. They are not actually linked arm-in-arm. You cannot touch the person next to you. So your arms look crossed from the front, you know, crisscrossed with the person next to you. right, but they're back. But they have to be a few inches away from the backs of the girls next to you because if you put the slightest bit of pressure on somebody who's in high heels trying to kick you'll you'll push them off balance yeah and that is the quickest way to get blackballed by other rock if you're a newbie rocket and you touch Mm -hmm. one of the seasoned rockets and knock her off her balance boom right because it's the very first thing you learn do not like you don't do not touch them. them That was, uh, that blew my mind. That blew my mind. And the other thing is how much people watching you and saying your left hand was one inch too far to the left in that last number because it's precision. And what was, when you started that, what was the most surprising thing? And is there anything since doing precision dance that works your brain or your body in the same way? Because I imagine it's this very specific thing that it does when you have to like match all these people and make sure you're not only doing what you're supposed to be doing, but doing it. It's kind of torture really in a way, you know, I mean, as a performer, you're very creative and you're kind of trained to stand out, right? And be unique and be yourself and be creative. Yes, but not right now. Not for that job. That job, you, you have to be just a super skilled technical dancer, also super graceful. I mean, you know, you have to be beautiful, technical, graceful, and it's a team effort. You have to look exactly like the person, you know, you have to all be doing exactly the same thing at the same time. It's very mathematical. You know, the formations, there's there's a number line across the front of the stage and there are tape marks and different colors going across the um, width of the stage at different depths to help us with our formation. So it's just, it is a little bit torturous to try to be perfect all the time and in all of that. And what you do affects everybody else on stage, you know, oh, so man. that, so it really requires everybody to be doing their job exactly right to make it come out. Yeah the way that you want it to come out. So it's 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 kind of torturous a little bit. Is the roster gone, but the Rockets are still there? Yes. Oh. So I don't okay. I, I haven't kept up with exactly the rules lately, but I believe everybody has to re-audition every year to join. Now I'm sure they would they would choose um, a lot of the girls that have performed with them regularly again and again, yeah. right? Because if they did a great job, um, yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't know exactly what the rules are currently. Um, they were off a little bit during COVID and they're, but they're back, yeah. but I'm going to the hundred year anniversary. I went to the 90 year anniversary of the Rockettes <gasps> with my daughter when she was 15. And when is it? Oh I believe God. it's 2020. <laughs> let's see. That was, is it 2025? I think, I think. Wow. Oh, that's wonderful. And you'll all be there. There'll be all these rockets yeah. there of all ages. Yeah, ah, yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So 
Oh my gosh. So we're obviously not going to get to everything. Oh, there <laughs> is one more kind of adorable thing about just backstage life. And it's interesting when I read this, I had no idea what to expect. Was it going to be, assuming there'd be some showbiz stuff in there, but the sweetness about it is about all the relationships that you make while you're doing a show. And one of the things that I remembered, I can't remember which section it's in, but it was the first time you realized that when a show is over, it's kind of devastating. Like you've been with same cast and crew. Maybe it was the summer in California where you're with the same mm. people every day and you've got this whole life going where you practice during the day and do a show at night and then the next show starts and, you know, and then it's over. And when it's right. over and you strike that last day, it's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, your heart is that ripped out. That sucks. <laughs> and I will never forget my first strike in college where we just, we got a strike tomorrow. I'm like, oh, what is that? Oh, we go tear down the set and everything after the last show. Oh, okay. And you don't realize it's literally five minutes after the curtains close. You just start trash and everything. Right. Put all those things in that bag. Rip that all up. We're just, we're just going to burn that. And you're like, wait, this is, wait. This is my life. <laughs> what is going on? This is my home. No. And I remember thinking, like going through this, and finally a roommate was like, I don't know if you like handling that <laughs> you know just like you can't go into this huge post-show funk every three months you know where you're just like oh, it's over where are all those people we're not going to spend yeah. time with each other every day oh my god you do because you build a family very, very quickly, quickly in a show and you have to because if you're do you're doing intimate things in shows uh -huh. you're touching each other you're acting as if you're, you're changing clothes in front of everyone you're changing clothes yeah, yeah exactly you're passing so colds around you're bad. Yes. So it, it is a very intimate thing. And so you have to develop trust mm -hmm. and develop that family kind of atmosphere super, super fast. Yeah. It's so many skills that lend to longevity, I think. When you were talking about the, I, I can't remember if it was the Vegas show, I think probably where there's like Kitty Corner. There's the big dressing room and the little dressing room. Mm -hmm. And the little dressing room is Bellevue. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Named after the insane asylum. Yes. And the dynamic within the dressing room. Just every single specific, like, this group doesn't really even interact with this group because they're on the other side of the stage and they're down there in the dressing room. And this, this group is wild, the partiers. And this group is more like, let's cross stitch together. Yes. <laughs> and that is all... Because you're, nobody would ever realize that backstage there's this whole world. It's a world. Of, yes, of like, and little power plays going on kind of all the time about yeah. who might move where. So one of the things I wonder, did you see, did you see people crash and burn? Because mainly you talked about people so favorably and professionally because at that level you're seeing people who want it and they're there and they're talented but did you see people crash and burn because of the other things the lifestyle the being in the middle of everybody did you see that yes I mean being in the Rock Hat show it, it was hard we had a lot in Vegas we had a lot of challenges with um, Radio City management and company management and we were like the black sheep out in las vegas <laughs> and got in 
people we got in trouble a lot probably unfairly in a lot of cases but we were, were kind of like they this just think you guys were like rogue yeah. yes kind of like this rogue like cowboys out in the wild west doing their own thing and we kind of were managing ourselves for a lot of a lot yeah, of it so yeah. things happened and they, they sent a company manager out for a while to try to calm us down and corral us a little better but it didn't really work um and did it feel like crazy to you or did you think they were just nitpicking well i i walked i walked into it because I joined the show after it had already been up and running for some time oh, and right, right, kind right. of inherited whatever had been established there. I I never really understood why they um, why it was a little goofy out there. Um, I don't even remember where I, what our question was at this point. What was I trying to answer about about that? Oh, someone crashing and crashing, crashing and, burning. and burning. Yeah. So so there was just a lot of dra- there was a lot of work corporate drama work drama mm-hmm. corporate drama. There was always yeah. drama going on and. Yeah, so I saw some people succumb succumb yeah. to the drama of of the job and the yeah all the crazy rules and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, it's something that if you have a low tolerance for, I feel like performers put up with a lot. You know, like you can do this, you can't do that. You got to look like this. You got to do what this person that you don't know, but he has the money says, and you have to change everything because this person wants it this other way and there's it a affects lot of your whole to jump life through. Yes, yeah. yes and sometimes you have a place to live sometimes you don't sometimes you're treated really well sometimes you don't and so the being a really really good dancer part is a huge part but i just kept thinking the stamp the the motivational stamina and how to like keep yourself happy while being exhausted is such a skill in this life, in this life, you know, you have to not like, I don't know if I could handle the repetition or the so many different people telling me what to do. And that group of people that you got to work with seem to thrive in that environment because yeah, because obviously you have to get the right people. Those people are just going to be weeded out. I think you're right. It, they are going to be weeded out. Yeah, they're only or they're gonna, just going to stay for a short amount of time and then move on to a different job. Yeah, because you have to tolerate getting notes all the time. Nobody likes it, right. you know, like a dance captain watching your show and then getting notes all the time. Move your pinky, you know, a fraction to the right. Your smile's too big. Your smile's too small. Wow. Um, you got you to have really thick skin for that. Yeah. Stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. And then do it. And then you do and it. You, you take your note. Bigger, or take your note. Smaller. You do it. Show yeah. me how you smell smaller. <laughs> <laughs> I, my middle I smile, I think, is creepy. <laughs> I'm either big smile how many or teeth not. You show. It's like, are you? Is it a horse? I think I, smile, I think I look scared like or hesitant <laughs> when I try to just half smile. It's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Before we start wrapping up, swing. So the swing. Talk about what the swing does, because this blows my mind that this person exists. Of course, this person exists, but I cannot believe how challenging the role of swings. Oh, I know, I know. So, talk about what it is, like define it, and then give an example of what might happen to a swing in a day. Swings are brilliant, and they're like if you were teaching school, swings like a substitute teacher. 
So if somebody's out sick or when, because we were in the Rockettes, we had, we had, uh, or in a full-time show in Las Vegas, we had, I think a couple weeks of vacation time a year. So there was always somebody taking their vacation and a swing would have to come in or I, I took maternity leave. I had a baby during that time and a few of us did. And so we'd have to have a swing, have our spot for several months, but just people sick, injured, taking vacation time and they know everybody's parts. Now, I think we had maybe two or three swings in Vegas and maybe like a stage left swing and a stage right swing. So they would maybe only have to know half the parts, kind of. Wow. But they, and I actually. But how did they get time off? Did they uh, not? Is it, that, that seems weird. One of the other swings. Other swings. Yeah. Okay. Because there's more than one. There's two. There's a swing set. I think there were three. <laughs> a swing set. I love that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. A yeah. swing set. And I actually was a swing for one number before I left. I did one particular number and I had to learn all the parts. And I had, it's kind of like, have you ever seen football charts with the X's and the O's and the plays? You know, we would make these charts and we'd have, know everybody's track and have numbers and formations. And it is crazy because sometimes you have no time to prepare like somebody... Um, their pants split open or they twist their ankle and you have to go on right, right then and, and just do it. And you, yeah. and you have to look at your notes really fast and then just jump in. And that is terrifying. It's crazy. It was good for me at the time I did it. Cause I only had the one, um, number, but I was, had been in the show enough times mm-hmm. that it kept my brain fresh. It was, you know, it was good for me. If you have time, you would tell the people around you, you know, watch out for me. I'm swinging. If I'm, you yeah. know, like people would, you know, help me out, like steer me in the right direction yeah. or so whatever. It's interesting because even within a precision show, there's so much shifting and changing all the time. Little, there's just so much shifting and changing and keeping it precision is that sounds so challenging. Yeah, it's in, it's crazy. Yeah, I've never seen a live rocket show. I've probably seen just on parades and, you know, things like that on TV and really want to go. I mean, do you, uh, will there be a rocket Christmas show this year? I believe so. For the first time maybe? Probably. Uh, I can't remember if they if they performed last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure they're they're doing the Christmas show this year. Oh, wow. Okay. That's that's exciting to think about. Anything in Detroit? Or was that just like a... No, they used to have what they called Christmas Outside New York. And they mm-hmm. sort of franchised and did quite a few cities in the United States in addition to New York City. But they're back to just yeah New York City. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of changes. So since wrapping that up, you got a drama therapy master's. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Yes. Tell me about your life post rocket experience after you taught that class that day. Tell me how it the performing state in your life was it ever a lag? Was it ever like, "Oh, I'm going to just put that away and grieve for a while?" Or did it stay pretty Yeah, there was a lag. I I did a lot of I taught a lot of dance mm-hmm. when I first quit. Um, performing. I was also a young mom, so I had two. Oh, right, of course, of two course. little, two small children. You know, like a three-year-old and a baby when I yes. when I retired. So I was being a mom a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and teaching dance and writing my book. Yeah, and then eventually, um, I did. I did 
you know, some professional choreography. And then I went back to school and got this master's degree and became a drama therapist and but wasn't really performing for quite a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And then I got remarried to a performer, to a singer songwriter. He's so nice. Guy, Dave, (laughs) Dave Boutet. He's very nice. And now we're a duo. So I get to perform a lot, which is so fun. I'm so glad that uh, I got back to to that in a new iteration in a completely different way completely different way it's so fun did you guys meet performing no we met in eighth grade oh no I think and yeah we met in eighth grade and we went to our ninth grade dance together but we were just friends and then we were friends in high school we did some musicals together in high school oh and just reconnected much 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 later in life and just as friends and then ended up dating and now we're married. <laughs> now we're married. We met in the eighth grade. That is met in the adorable. Eighth grade, yeah. That's adorable. Well, I um was so literally laughed and cried through this book. <laughs> and it's such oh, a sweet you. picture of just I, I would definitely encourage everybody to read this and have um fun on this journey and be impressed it is an impressive journey well I'm always honored when someone reads the book and I'll tell you something funny my demographic was I always thought it would be for you know aspiring performers or people that are in the arts but I've had so many men you know in their older men 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever love the book they're not performers they're not (laughs) They have nothing to do with entertainment. They just like reading about showgirls. <laughs> they lo- uh, which blows my mind, so. Yeah. Hi. We got a special guest. Hey. Paul's a dancer, too. Oh, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> I'll show a you. A wiggler. I'll show you a video that I took last night when he was happier than he is now. <laughs> oh, at the show. At the Blue Llama. Yeah. It's such a wonderful book. So I bought a few more copies and mailed them out to friends of mine. Oh, bless you. <laughs> I did. So hopefully my friend Tana got one. I was just thinking, who are my dancers? But now more are coming to mind because it's such a club. It's when, when you read about it and you've ever had any of those experiences, definitely not to that extreme. I have never been in a show <laughs> run that long or grueling or everything, but you get it. You get the uh, allure of the weirdness of of being a theater person and there's a magic to it yeah because you don't understand even even the idea of and we'll just kind of go out on this but you learn to live in a completely different rhythm of the calendar and day and night like what you consider your weekend and your day and your night for your whole life is different oh for sure because you want to go to the grocery store on Tuesday at 1 a.m. <laughs> because that makes sense. It makes sense makes after sense. the show. Yes, it makes sense. Not Monday. Monday, that's your off day. You don't want to do all your errands on your off day. You want to do at least something fun in one errand. The next day after you're rested, you'll do a bigger errand the next day. But just like the things that are important and how we value. Yeah, it's great. Well, Christy Davis, thank you so much. Do you like people to say Christy Lynn Davis as your like professional name? I use it as my professional name okay. because I could get that URL. 
Christy oh. Davis took Christy Davis before oh, I took Christy Davis. How dare she? So now I'm three words. Who does she think she is? <laughs> she thinks she's Christy Davis. I need to start a Christy Davis club. I want to see the other Christy Davises <laughs> yeah. in the world. Are they as fun as me? <laughs> um, okay, so. I didn't even talk about working with a book coach, Ken Waksberger. Oh, yes, he was my editor and my book coach. Okay, so real quick, just because I am fascinated by that process, and if you're out there, kind of person that's been pounding away at a book, and you said you worked on it for 14 years, so at what point did you happen upon someone who knew a book coach, and you were like, hey, I might want that? Well, and how I did you work with him? Yeah, I think, oh gosh, maybe it was 2010. I started attending the National Speakers Association oh, yeah. of Michigan, and I met Ken there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of speakers, you know, who are professional like to write a book. Yes, yes. To help support their, um, what they're teaching and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, Ken had offered to anyone that wanted to write a book that he would sort of hold their hand and, you know, give them some advice. And I thought, well, this is what I need because I I really fluctuated for years and years and years about finishing the book because I had so many other things happen in my life that needed my attention. I was Mm -hmm. a young mom, you know, and it is really a daunting thing to write a whole book a and book not quit. And just, well, and just not even to write. Yeah. And then to publish it, like to figure out the whole publishing yes. thing and the editing thing. There's just so many steps to it. Yeah. And then try to do like a bestseller campaign or whatever. It's yeah. just such a lot of work. And I thought, oh, I don't think, you know, I probably won't make any money at this. Can yeah. I really devote this much time to it? And um, I had so many doubts about, well, will anyone read this? Will anyone like this? And he was just so good at encouraging me and helping me get her, get her done. Like, yes, this is good. This is, people are going to, you know, there's going to be people that really want to, want to read this. It's so hard to judge your own work. And was he like editing you and, and being like, okay, in this section, bring it back to this? Or like, how did he help shape it? Well, after he, um, was my book coach, I thought, you know, I knew we worked well together and I decided to hire him as my, as my editor. He didn't do a lot of content editing, mm-hmm. he, um, a little, a little bit. He, he, um, you know, he would, if things didn't really make sense and I needed to explain something more, oh, gotcha. he would, he would tell me to do that. Uh, originally I had the part where I was on the, um, cruise ship around Alaska when I did my whole cruise ship oh, yeah. stuff that on the love boat. Wonderful thing too, where you met your first husband on the cruise yes, ship. Yes, right. I did. Okay. I, but that I had as my original journal entries. I sort of had that different, yeah. written differently. And he said, no, I want you to write it the same as the rest of the book. He had me add an epilogue to the end to tell people oh. what happened after that last day when my career ended. Yes, yes. And um, and then he did all the normal things editors, well, copy editing, you know, yeah. like yeah. spelling, grammar, punctuation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he, all kinds of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Shout out Ken Waksberger. Well, I'm so glad that it came to life and it is, it's a long book. It's like 4.53 and I just tore through it. I See, it, I know it could it. it could look like oh I don't want to read that many words, but it's fast reading. I think oh, right. It's so fast I'm glad reading you because it's fun stories. So. It's fun stories, and you're picturing it all moving along very fast. Like it, the pace is good. Fast. Oh, yeah, good. Oh, good, it is. Good. It is. I'm glad you thought Congratulations. So. Thank you again. I know it's been out for a while, but it's new to me. So, <laughs> and where's the best place for people to get it? Well, you can go to Amazon.com. Okay. Long yeah. Legs and Tall Tales. Okay. 
Google that. There you go. And if you want to see, do y'all have any shows coming up? What's on the docket oh. for the next couple of months? Oh, I got, so, well, my husband and I, Dave Boutet and I, we, we're called Dave and Christy as our duo now. Mm-hmm. We're going to be performing at Holler Fest <gasps> Music Festival Next Sunday. in Brooklyn, Michigan with a band, with the show band. Yes, yes. And then a few days later, we'll be at River Dog Retreat in Oberlin, Ohio, doing a show. But then the cool thing that um, I have coming up is the North Country Opera. So I will be touring um, Michigan. Up north in the state of Michigan at the beginning of October and ending at the Ark in Ann Arbor on October 18th, I believe, with Jay Steelstra from Manchester, Michigan, his wonderful show, musical, North Country Opera about northern Michigan. Oh, that's wonderful. So So that's going to start rehearsing soon. That's a musical. It's a musical. That is touring. That is touring in October. And it'll be at the Ark? We're ending at the Ark. It's been done twice before. So 40 years ago, I guess, was the first time they did it. Oh. Then 20 years later, they did it. 20 years later, we're doing it again. Oh, I'm excited about this because I've mm-hmm. never seen a musical done at the Ark. Yes. Ooh. Oh, I'm so excited. Will you remind me about tickets soon? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. All right. Or, you know, as they come available, because I, I hate it when, like, one of the weird things about performing is you're performing and your friends are performing. So when you have that one night off, you have <laughs> 18 shows to choose from yes. all of your friends. You're like, who's nearby? Who I can I support? What's sold out? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. But man, I would really love, I've never been to Hollerfest. Isn't it shameful? You would I freak know. out. It's one of the best festivals ever. I know. And I know. the lineup of musicians is unbelievable. I know. We might be able to make it Sunday, but anyway, Hollerfest, Hollerfest. An organic People farm. On an organic farm. Beautiful vegetables. Michigan late summer festivals are just Food delicious. Awesome. Oh a little gosh. bit of fall coming on. You're yeah. hot during the day, but you got to put a sweatshirt on at night it's and dance. Oh, oh, it's good. It's good. Yay for Michigan musicians and for Dave and Christy and uh, for Michigan comedians, Michigan comedians and Michigan karaoke people. By the way, I just have to tell you your um, website, your bio, your little bio you wrote on your website for the for Reeds sh- and Weeds. Uh huh. It's so charming. Oh really? It just I can't even it's the cutest, it most fun, authentic, great bio I've ever read. Oh my gosh! I'll have to go. Read it's so good. <laughs> oh, it's something just like I'm a humanoid with yeah. brown focal features. Or it's something about just being like a species forward facing. There's so much to it, so much more than oh. that. It's so charming. Oh, thank you. Well, that makes me so happy from an accomplished writer. <laughs> I pre- You know what? I might. We'll talk about this uh, after, but I really would love encouragement from you on just completing some writing tasks, you know? Because, happy to. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Christy. That was wonderful. And thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.